following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Well, we've been making our way through uh, a, a study in the church, and I just kind of wanted to start off this morning before we read the passage. I don't know if many of you remember Sunday, March 3rd, 1991. Some of you couldn't remember that if you tried, because you weren't here yet. But just to help spur some things into your mind, to maybe uh, resurrect some memories, perhaps this would uh, be of interest to you. On Sunday, March 3rd, 1999, Switzerland voted on lowering the voting age from 20 to 18. I don't know if that was impactful to you. Uh, The United Airlines uh, Flight 737 crashed near Colorado Springs, claiming the lives of 25 different people. Marlene Otter runs the world record 200-meter indoor race and sets the record at 22.24 seconds. I don't know if that changed your life by any stretch of the imagination. Stormin Norman Schwarzkopf. Anybody remember that name? Stormin Norman Schwarzkopf met with the Iraqi generals to discuss a ceasefire that day. And Rodney King was beaten that day as well. Now, while this is not meant to be a condemnation of what happened, nor is it meant to be an applause or anything of those uh, nature, let me first say, senseless violence should never, uh, should never be acceptable. Period. Hands down. The, <clears throat> was the man wrong in evading the cops? Sure. Was he wrong in leading them on a high-speed chase? Sure. Were the police wrong in excessive violence? Sure. That's not the topic that I really want to discuss today. Uh, which, No matter which side of the coin you land on with situations such as that, uh, there are viewpoints that can easily be seen and problems uh, with both uh, sides of the outcome. Now, not too long ago, back in, on May 25th, 2020, we had a similar incident take place. Many of you probably remember this one a little bit more, uh, which was the incident with George Floyd. So these things can spur some memories in our minds. And here's, here's kind of why I want to uh, look. at Again, this is, <clears throat> this is not to, uh, to be some sort of debate over whether what took place was okay. Uh, we're not going to argue on one side or the other. Uh, uh, some will argue that he should have cooperated with the police while others say that the police were being too brutal. Again, uh, if someone were to examine the entire situation, you can see where both sides can come to certain conclusions. Uh, But the issue that I am raising is not which side is right and to draw sympathy or disdain for one side or the other. 
but what I want to use is I want to merely point these two things out as a way to get our focus on something that has to do with the local New Testament church. Now, when both of these incidents happened, what was the following result in our nation? Anybody remember? Chaos, hatred, riots. Remember all these things? Now, some of you may remember them from back at Rodney King's day, and some of you may be like, I have no idea who you're even talking about. It was not even a dream in my dad's eye at that time. But a lot of you remember what took place back at, uh, in, during George Floyd. That fast. <clears throat> now, People were hateful. They were argumentative with one another. The left was against the right and vice versa. The right was against the left. You had these uh, things known as peaceful protests, which uh, that's another topic in another day. Um, these peace, peaceful protests, some sources say report that between 19 and 25 people uh, were killed during these riots and rallies and different protests. So because of the result of one, one death, which, was, which any, any death is sad, and as a result of this one, now you have between 19 and 25 people, depending on the source that you read, uh, that uh, lost their lives as a result of these protests and riots and things of that nature. Now, it's sad when anyone suffers, but it's sad whenever any life is taken. However, because of the reactions by many Americans and in other countries as well, the majority of us could not focus on anything except for the hatred and the animosity between the, two, between the different factions. You may ask, so how does this equate to the church, Pastor? Well, as we've been looking at the church lately, we've come to a topic, and the topic is that of unity, unity within the church. We first started off with looking at the importance of the local New Testament church. Then we went into the identity of the local New Testament church. Last week, we looked at the function of the local New Testament church. And now today, I want to bring us back into a, a little bit of an understanding of what it is to be united in the local New Testament church. Um, in America, sadly, it's easy to see the unity and divisiveness. Now, the divisiveness that is often seen in our culture, we have the left against the right, we have the Democrats against the Republicans, we have socialists against capitalists, but even within these factions, you have people against each other. you got the left against the far left. I mean, even within the Republican and Democratic committees themselves, many of them don't get along. And we see disunity and disunity over and over again compounded. And I wanted to bring up some of these uh, issues because I know right now in your mind, you're probably thinking of some of the conversations that maybe you had during the whole George Floyd incident. Or if you go back even further than that, maybe you're thinking of some of the conversations that you had with the Rodney King incident. Or just go back to the last, uh, uh, the last uh, election. Maybe you're thinking of some of the conversations that you have had with people. And were they conversations of unity or disunity? Now, I want you thinking along those lines because this is what happens in our world, this idea of what I want or what I prefer versus what they want and what they prefer, and we allow those things to become disunifying uh, objects and disunifying subjects, and we don't spend enough time looking at what ought to unite us. 
And it ought never to be so in the house of God. Never. In the household of faith, we ought to be able to find that common ground. We ought to be able to find those things that unify us, bring us together, and draw us ever closer to one another. It's easy to see these divides. We should not see them in the local New Testament church. Now, open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number four. Put a bookmark of some sort there in Ephesians chapter 4, maybe an offering envelope, and then at the conclusion of the service, you can put something in it. Then you can go over to John chapter 17. So Ephesians chapter 4 and John chapter 17. Stand with me, if you would, please, as we read the Word of God. We'll start with John chapter 17. Look with me at verse 20. This is Jesus during his high priestly prayer right before he went to the cross. He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they they all may be one as thou art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts and to our minds and change our lives as a result of it, please. We ask these things in your son's name for his sake, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We'll get to Ephesians 4 here in just a moment. Now, I want us to take note first in this book of John uh, that Jesus' prayer was for us to be united. If you remember uh, when I uh, first approached this uh, topic of the local New Testament church, the first message that I, uh, I brought on this and the importance of the church where I said that in John 17, Jesus uh, prays for the unity uh, of the church. He prays for this unity, but too often people focus on their individual relationship with God and forget to address unity in the body. And we see this right here in John chapter chapter 17, his desire, the desire of Jesus Christ himself was that we would be one, that we would be united, that we would be united in a common goal and with a common purpose in mind. And he says, I want them to be one just as you and I are one. Now, this, this takes us into that idea of oneness. It's the same idea of oneness that a husband and wife should have with one another. The two shall be one flesh. In other words, when my kids come up to me and they say, hey, dad, are we allowed to fill in the blank? And whatever their mother has said is the same answer they're going to get from me. Whatever I have said is the same answer they're going to get from her because we're one. And they know very well by now, they know that if they come to me and I said no and they decide to go to mom to see if mom's going to be a little easier, they go to mom and she says, well, yeah, I guess that's okay. And then they're putting the two of us against each other. They know, "Uh uh-uh, bad day, bad day. Uh Uh-uh, that don't work too well. When you do something like that, for some amazing reason, your rear end starts to hurt quickly. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but 
my wife and I are very quick to defend one another. If I find out that they asked me and I said yes when she has already said no, whoa, Katie, bar the door. It's going to be a hot time in the old backside tonight. Because we're one. We are united. This is what it's talking about. It's a unity. It's a oneness. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that they may be one the way you and I are. God the Father and God the Son are never in disagreement. They are always together. They're always working for the common goal of bringing glory to the Godhead. And so this is where we ought to be as well. Jesus' desire for us to be unified of one mind, but amid so much diverse, diversity in the population of people and the different interests, different personalities, the question would come, is it even possible to see unity? I would say yes. Yes, it is possible. And so I, where does this breakdown come from? Well, well, if we had, if we were to break the church up into the small groups of alike people, and I'm, I'm sure we would have many people. If you'll notice the, the uh, clipboards over here to my left, your right, uh, there are different teams. Now, there are some people that enjoy singing, and, and they enjoy playing music, and this is a good team for them to get on. There are some people that enjoy cooking, and they want to help provide meals for different people. That's a good team for them to get on. There are some people that like to work with kids. There are other people that don't want to be around kids. We get that. We understand all that. There are some people that want to be on a lawnmower. There are some people that like to do maintenance projects. There are some people that want to go out and hand out tracks. There are some people that enjoy, and so there are many different ways, and the question is, how do we get Get all those people with all those different interests, with all those different likes, with all those different talents, how do we get them to be united? Is that even possible? Well, I submit to you that the breakdown in unity typically happens between two main factions within the church, the heads and the hearts. These are the two main factions that we're going to be looking at this morning. Again, Jesus' desire was for all of us to be unified. And so getting that understanding of where this breakdown takes place and how it is that we become so quickly uh, disunified, completely out of joint with one another, how do we bring them back together? How do we get these things? Well, we need to work with the heads and we need to work with the hearts to help the heads see the heart and help the hearts see the head. And some of you may be going, what in the world is he talking about? Heads and hearts. I'm glad you asked. Let's look at these two factions in the church a little bit closer. Let's start with the heads. First off, heads, they have a heavy focus on doctrine, and that doctrine being the only thing that really matters, and, and a desire to ensure biblical adherence. These are the ones that... Uh, uh, that believe that doctrine is the only thing that really matters, and I, they're the ones, I could care less if we sing another song, let's get to the preaching and teaching. Now, is there something wrong with that? No. That's the way, that's their makeup. They enjoy getting into the deeper things. They enjoy digging through Scripture. They enjoy more of the teaching, more of the preaching, and they, they, they get into that. They learn about that. That's the way they're geared. That's, the way, that's their makeup. Uh, but, but 
we can't do these kind of things at the sake of and uh, at the expense of the other. They're the ones sometimes, if they allow themselves to go too far into this head thing, they're the ones that allow themselves uh, to roll their eyes and uh, they roll their eyes at the person off to the side, raising their hand during the song. They're, you know, uh, they're singing and they got that hand raised and their eyes are closed and the head's looking at them going, oh, please, put your hand down. Just sing the song. Let's get through it. Let's get to the preaching time. A third song? Oh, heaven help us. How many verses do you have to sing? Oh, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus too. I said it at the beginning of the song. It still rings true. I don't have to say it 54 more times. That's the head, right? Well, take for example... Again, we're going to get to Ephesians here in just a moment. But in Ephesians chapter 1, if, if the head was to read Ephesians chapter 1, they would read about God who, uh, uh, who predestined and chose us from the beginning of the world. And the head's going, let's discuss Calvinism, Arminianism, and let's see what exactly is being said in this treatise. They want, to dis- they want to dissect it, and they're pulling out their, their tomes of, their, of, of Christian philosophy. They're getting into the different commentaries. They're pulling out the Greek uh, word studies. They're pulling out all the different stops, and, and well, this one says this about this passage. This one says this about this passage, and they dig in as deep as they possibly can, and next thing you know, half of them are asleep anyway, and the rest of them just get up, and they say, praise the Lord. We have come to the place where none of us are happy with each other because we have destroyed this text. They dig in as hard as they can. They're the ones that say things. We don't need all these songs, fellowships, feelings stuff. Feelings don't get you saved. Feelings don't matter. Don't give me any of this, any of, this of how, uh, how to be a better dad. Teach me how to be a better husband. Don't teach me how to be a better wife or how to be a better mother. I don't need any of that stuff. Just give me the word of God. Doctrine's all that matters, preacher. Just preach the word. That's the head. Is there something wrong with that? No. I'll be honest with you, I tend to be more of a head. I tend to be that way a little bit. I tend to lean toward my books. I like getting into my, uh, into my office, into my study. I like opening up my books. That tends to be my nature. Nothing wrong with that. But what about the hearts? Well, these are the ones that focus on the feelings of other people. Hearts uh, tend to have their focus on feelings and place a very heavy emphasis on how worship makes you feel. This is why the heart type of an individual, they're the one that while while we're singing the song, uh, uh, I have decided that hand goes up to follow Jesus. If they're really a heart, two hands go up, right? I have decided to follow Jesus, and then the tear comes, right? Here comes the tear. Nothing wrong with that, though. There's nothing wrong with that. They have more of the emotional side. Both hands, sometimes even a wave, the eyes close. And they want a fourth song and a fifth song and a twelfth song and an eighty-fifth song. And if you skip one verse in a hymn, God help you. That hymn tells a story. We need all 85 verses of just as I am or it's not done right. Because the heart, right? This is where the, the largest breakdown in the church happens between the heads and between the hearts. 
You see, the heart, they read through Ephesians chapter one about the predestined God who chose you from the beginning of, uh, from the foundations of the world. And here's what they see. They don't look at, the, at, at Calvinism versus Arminianism. They don't look at predestination and election and all that stuff. What they look at is, God chose me. God chose me. Me. Later on, when they're reading chapter one, they go, he adopted me. I'm adopted. The head will come up to him and say, you Calvinist or Armenian? I don't know. Jesus adopted me. Right? Well, how do you not know? How do you not? What do you do when you read your Bible? Do you do nothing other than just glance past it and find something about you? No. You see, you got the heads and you got the hearts. And oftentimes, heads don't understand the hearts. And the hearts don't understand the heads. And that's where disunity comes in. Now, I know I'm trying to make something that's a little more complex oversimplified, but I want you to follow me on this. The hearts are the ones that will say things like, I wish the preacher would teach more about spiritual gifts or maybe a message on seven steps to a better marriage. Why is all this expository stuff really, all this expository stuff, this expository preaching and everything, is it, it, there's, there's really no practical in this at all. There's too much detail. And so if you'll notice, if you look at the book of Ephesians now with me, let's take a look at what's going on here. Ephesians chapter number four. And let's see if we can connect these two passages together, John chapter 17 and Ephesians chapter four. Let's see if the New Testament church had the same focus that Jesus had as far as unity is concerned. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse number one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, I want you to notice something that we just, we, we bring out at the very beginning of this passage here. You've got the heads and you've got the hearts, and I don't want you to lose that. And we can learn from both of these. There is a way to find a balance between the head and the heart. Most of us are generally driven by one or the other, and we let it control uh, our, our attitudes and our lives. But we want to try to find this way where we can let both kind of work together in harmony. Noticing here in chapter 4, verse 1, You'll see the way he starts. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. This word, therefore, it's important for us to see why it is there. And so let's, uh, let's go back for just a little bit, chapter number one of Ephesians, and we're going to do a, a glancing of the book of Ephesians here real quick. If you look at chapter number one and chapter number two, Paul encourages us to recognize that we have been delivered 
and that we should grow in the knowledge of that understanding. Look at uh, chapter number one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in uh, him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the, of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the uh, uh, to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Paul lets us know right at the very onset, he wants us to understand and recognize that we have been delivered and that we should grow in the knowledge of what that means and the knowledge of what this deliverance truly is all about. He calls us to recognize this. He says, do you not realize what God has done for you? He has adopted you. He has cleansed you. He has made you acceptable to him. Do you not see this? And Paul says, start living with that reality. He goes through chapter one and chapter two, just expounding upon this over and over again. In chapter two, not only does he bring to light the idea that we were dead, but now are we made alive? You go into chapter two, look at verse 11 with me. And notice what he says here. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the which is called the circumcision is the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ ye are ye, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It, it, look, drop down to verse, uh, uh, verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. If you remember at the very beginning of our study, we talked about what it meant to be part of the household God, part of the house of God, the family of God. We are brothers, we are sisters in Christ. We are to be drawn together and we are to be united in this understanding. It's, it's not a matter of them against them. It's not a matter of her against him. It's none of that. We are brothers and sisters. We are fellow citizens. And Paul's wanting us to get this. All of you who identify more with the head need to remember that you are fellow citizens with those who identify with the heart. Those of you who seem to be a little bit more heart-oriented need to remember you are fellow citizens with the heads as well. And this is where a lot of times that breakdown really comes into play is we forget that we are brothers and sisters of the same family. If we can get that part, I think moving on is going to be a whole lot easier. 
But he exhorts us to remember that there are no factions in the body of Christ, none. The the Jew, the Gentile, doesn't matter. Male, female, doesn't matter. Slave, bond, free, doesn't matter. All one, one. This, uh, if you jump down to Ephesians chapter three, look at verse 17 and 18. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Look at verse 19 now. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. By the time we come to the end of chapter 13 here, we see this where he is hoping and praying that we would be rooted and grounded in love. I want you to see the beautiful marrying here between the head and the heart. It's not just that you would have love, but that you would be rooted and grounded, solid, firm in that love. He talks about having wisdom, knowing, he says in verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Here's a beautiful marrying of love, hearts, and comprehension, minds. He says, let's bring it all together. Let's help one another with this. And then we go into chapter four, where he says, therefore, I beseech you. He says, based on all that Christ has done for you, based on the oneness, do you see the oneness that is, uh, that is encouraged to, to us here? Uh, one God, one Savior, one Spirit. Notice what he says. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice this. There's one body, one Spirit. You're called to, uh, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This is where the rubber meets the road. Unity. As we come to Ephesians 4, we have a call to walk worthy of this. How can we? With humility, with meekness, with patience, Bearing one another in love, the word here for, uh, for bearing is actually literally to endure. Do you know anybody that you just have to endure? I mean, it's, it's the person that you don't look forward to seeing you endure seeing them. If you don't know anybody that you have to endure, probably you are the person other people have to endure. I don't know anybody like that. Well, let me pray for you, my friend. Endure. Well, you know, I'd like church a little bit more if it wasn't for that's the person that you are to bear. Bearing one another. 
holding them up, supporting them. Isn't that crazy? So you're telling me that (laughs) that one person that just absolutely drives me nuts, I've got to put up with them? Mm Mm-hmm. You know why? Because the same spirit you claim dwells in you indwells in them. This is the bond that we have. This is how people who are heads and don't understand emotions and people who are hearts and don't understand the lack of emotion can look and say, well, he doesn't know how to just rejoice but he's got the spirit of the living God in him too. And I can love him just as much. The person over here that's standing with their hands in their pockets during, during the song service, and they're just going, I have decided to follow Jesus. Get to the preaching, come on. I have decided. And looking over at the people that can enjoy it, they can say, And the Spirit speaks to them a different way than he speaks to me. Praise the Lord that they they got that hand up. This is something that they, they, man, the Holy Spirit may be getting on them, and that's a wonderful thing. And maybe instead of pointing at one another and saying, why in the world did they raise their stinking hand? Oh, now he's got two up. Here we go. And this person over here, of course, they are, you know, hands closed and hands up, you know, eyes closed and hands up, and then they peek over to the person to the side. Like, Get your hand up. How can you not be raising your hand? This is a beautiful song, right? Instead, we can just look at one another and say, praise the Lord that he speaks to them. It may be different than the way they, that the Lord speaks to me. The Holy Spirit may move me differently than he moves these other people. But the same Spirit Notice what it said right there at the end of verse six. Talking about one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that I'm indwelt by. That's where we find common ground. You may disagree with me on theological issues. But as long as it's not the foundational issues, we can move on. If you disagree with me on salvation, eh, maybe we don't need to be breaking bread. If you disagree with me on the deity of Jesus Christ, eh, eh, maybe we can part ways. But if it's just something small, doesn't change whether or not the person's born again by the Spirit of God. Look, I believe that the, that the creation of the world took place in six literal days. I believe that. I don't believe in the gap theory. I don't believe it. Other people do. But it doesn't change the doctrine of salvation. And so I can get along with them. I don't have to go, get, go to war with them over these things. And how dare you put extra parts into the word of God? You must be going straight to hell. You can't believe that way. But that's the way a lot of people are. If you don't sing the kind of music they sing, you don't read the certain same version they read, we're just gonna beat the snot out of each other verbally, right? That ought never to be in the house of God. Never. Speaking 
the way Paul was talking here, he expresses that oneness that is to be revealed in the church. Now, he even goes a little bit further with that. The heart and the head does not have to more or less, uh, have more or less of the spirit than the other one. They have the same spirit. And by the time we get to verse 11 here, I want you to notice what it says. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men uh, and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I want you to notice what's being said in this. By the time we get to verse 11 here, we have a pretty good idea of what's going on. And then Paul introduces why he gave various people to the church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, differing people. The prophet and the pastor and teacher and the evangelist, they were different kind of people with different spiritual gifts. He says, I gave you an abundance of them for a specific purpose, for the edifying of the body, to lift up the whole. And so he introduces these different offices and he gave it to the main point of unity in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Unity. He, again, marries beautifully the whole mind and heart thing. He says, no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You see the head. This speaks to the importance of the doctrinal teaching. There is importance in expository doctrine. There's an importance in that. Why do we have to go through these books? Why do we have to? Why do we want to go verse by verse? Why do we want to dig so deep into this stuff? Because it's important that we understand the doctrine. But he also says this in verse fifteen. He says, "But speak the truth in love." that we may grow up in him in all things, which is the head of even Christ. This speaks to the heart. The heart uh, introducing all these different aspects of these different things do not just hammer the information and details. We've got to present uh, these things and care about the individuals in the process. This is why so often people have been lost by born-again believers who just want to come right to them and say, you know you're going to have Excuse me, my name's Andy. Or we, we need to care about the person. We need to care about the individuals as we come into their lives. We speak the truth in love, and it connects the head to the heart, and we speak this truth. We are honest about it, but we do so in a caring and loving manner. 
This is the marrying of the two. And Paul then moves on to explain that the whole body is joined together and works to grow itself and build itself in love and moves on in encouraging us, uh, the church, on how to live this new life. And starting in verse 35, if you were to jump into uh, chapter 4, verse 30, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) starting in verse, uh, in chapter 5, moving all the way down through the remainder of the uh, 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 of the passage all the way down through, we're seeing this how-to sort of a, uh, uh, expository uh, explanation on how we can live this out, how servants live with their masters, how husbands live with their wives, how wives live with their husbands, and we bring all these things into play, and this is how we are able to live in unity and dwell together in unity. He moves on to explain all of this. And he even says in chapter three, verse 27, he says it this way. He says, don't give place to the devil. Notice what he, go back there to chapter three so you're not just hearing my words for it. I'm sorry, not chapter three. Chapter four, verse 27. Notice what he says here. Verse 25, if you wanna back up just a little bit, wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Notice that. Neither give place to the devil. You want to know how we give place to the devil? It's when we put anything ahead of what God desires for us. Anything. How do we do that in the house of God? If Jesus' desire is for us to be united, but we look for opportunities to have a problem with what other people think or say, we look for an opportunity to complain, gripe, and moan. We take those opportunities, we go gossip, and we go roasting other, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. As soon as we get in the house, did you see what version of the Bible he was carrying? We need to pray for his eternal soul. Did you hear what kind of music they were listening to when they pulled in? Oh, God help them. Those kids are probably gonna be drug addicts. Did you, did, could you believe the way he was dressed? Did you see how short her skirt was? Oh, the audacity. what we do. That's disunity. Let's give him place to the devil. Instead of, oh, here comes someone new and they're carrying the wrong Bible. Let's go rip that one out of their hands and put the right one in it. Praise God, they're reading the Bible. Let's not get so quick to go kick them in the teeth and make sure they're reading something from 400 years ago and make sure that they don't seem to understand what we do is the right way to do it and you're doing it wrong and you must be, you must not be actually saved. You're listening to that kind of music? There's no such thing as a Christian who can listen to that kind of music. Easy greasy. While we're pointing our finger over here, do you realize 
We are pointing our finger at someone who very well may be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and we are sowing seeds of disunity. We are gossiping. We are backbiting. We are tattling, and we are acting in a very divisive manner. And that's giving place to the devil. We need to seek for things that bring about unity. Not seek after things that divide us. Look quickly, if you would, over to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And I'll get ready to shut up. Colossians chapter 3. You see, here's what I want us to understand. And in kind of bringing us back to why I started everything, those initial comments that I made. You see, we go back to things such as Rodney King or George, George Floyd and these riots, etc. And the church ought never show the same kind of an attitude. When those things hit and the riots went crazy, the church should be the one place on earth that when, when problems happen, the exact opposite takes place. Let's bind together in a unified manner and let's seek common ground instead of, as the world The world goes to fisticuffs over differences. They go crazy. The world goes at each other's differences and loses sight of what binds them together. They're ready for it. They want to fight. The church ought never to be that way. Never. Never. It should break our hearts when we have to part ways with someone should break our hearts, not put our thumbs in our lapels and go, ha, ha, I was right. That's not the Christ-honoring way about it. Look at Colossians chapter 3 with me. And I want you to notice verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity. That's that Greek word agape, sacrificial love which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and, by, and the Father by him. Again, do you see the marrying of the head and the heart? Well, I wish the church would sing a little bit more this kind of song or this kind of music. I wish the church would spend more time in teaching and preaching. I wish the church would get along. To quote, Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Hmm. You see the embracing of love, which is the bond of completeness and maturity. And he brings all the differences in as he can. He says, the peace of God, this has to do with the heart. Let, don't, in other words, don't let your emotions get the best of you. Let peace rule in your heart. 
Then he says the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. God's word should be in you, giving you wisdom. And so here we have peace of God. We have the, uh, the, the knowledge of the word of God, both of them coming together. And then he goes on to that teaching and admonishing one another. Again, there's that head, the teaching and the admonishing of one another. In other words, helping one another with sound doctrine, helping one another find that truth and see it and live it. And, and, and then, you know, it's not a matter of pushing people to our way. Look, if you like contemporary music, praise the Lord. If you like old hymns from the, from, uh, from, 1200 BC, praise the Lord. Get into it and worship. And don't get upset about them. You worship. He marries again the heart. He says, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This teaching is done with careful kindness. You see what he says when he says in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? He says, teach the information poetically. Again, he marries the two together. You're not going to get anywhere by bashing someone else. You're not. It's not going to happen. Simply have it, your conviction, and praise the Lord. You don't have to sing songs, all, my, all your stuff is evil and my stuff is good. I mean, let's just praise the Lord together. Now, here's the key to it all. We read it in verse 17, and I want you to read it again with me in verse 23. Whatsoever as unto the Lord and not to men. You want to know what can stop all disunity in the house of God? Doing it for him. Living for him. Praising him. And if we truly see praise and honor of Jesus Christ, how the person on the other side of the pew or the other side of the auditorium how they do it, not your business. As Hank Williams once said, if you mind your own business, you sure won't be minding mine. And those of you who think I'm going to hell because I quoted Hank Williams, pray for me. Here's what I want us to understand. If we as a church could get it right, and serve him rather than ourselves. And Jesus said it this way, if you want to be the greatest, you need to become servant of all. And so, yes, you may like this over here, heads. You may like this over here, hearts. But if you could learn to put yourself back and serve the other, because we're doing it for his honor and glory, we'll never have disunity. Never. Never. Make him number one priority and then serve everybody. Look to your left and look to your right. That's who you're supposed to serve. There's no mirror. And if some of you ladies go pulling compacts out, we're gonna have problems. 
you need to serve the people that you see around here. We'll never be disunified. If you make him first, them second, you should put yourself in the back of the pack. Let's unite. Help one another see the importance of the local New Testament church. Let's unite and let's help one another see, <coughs> excuse me, let's help one another see the, uh, the identity and find that identity and remember where we find it. Let's help one another with the function. Let's make unity the goal for our year. Unity in the proper things. Unity in the gospel. I've decided to follow Jesus. Not my personal wants, not my personal desires. But Jesus. No turning back. None. And I'm inviting you to go along with me. No turning back. But if you don't go, I'm still going. No turning back. Father, we thank you that you did provide for us a way that we could be right with you. You gave to us, Father, a, a hunger and a desire for the things of righteousness when we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. But Father, sometimes we allow ourselves and the cares of this world to rob us. So forgive us for that, Lord, we pray. Help us to see areas that we need to address. Help us to see things that we need to focus on. And perhaps something that we need to lay down and, and forsake to confess before you. Father, help us to pursue unity. First and foremost, unity with you. Secondly, unity within the brotherhood. Father, help that to be the goal of our lives, bringing you honor and praise so that when people see the unity within this body, that they will glorify God and realize he truly did send his son to change. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Stand with me if you would with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior. It may be a reason that you don't know Christ is because you have not liked the way that Christians have presented Christ. Maybe you've seen too much of this animosity and diversity, and division. Division's a better word, not diversity, but division. And that's kept you from having a hunger and a desire to, to follow him. If that's what Christianity's all about, I don't want anything to do with it. Me either. Me either. But that's not what Christianity's all about. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Andy, I don't know that I am born again by the Spirit of God. I'm just not sure about that. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would, would you just raise your hand so that I would know that the Lord is dealing with your heart? I see that. I see that hand. Now, please, 
Don't let this week go by. Don't let today go by without examining it. To find out of a surety that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are born again by the Spirit of God. And perhaps you're here this morning and you believe that you are born again by the Spirit of God. But maybe living a unified life with the body of Christ. Maybe something has been a wedge maybe between you and the rest of the body. The Lord touched your heart this morning and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know what God wants me to deal with. And you just want to slip your hand up and let me know to pray for you. I will, I promise. Say, Pastor, I've got something. Several hands all around, I see those. I'll be praying for you. I promise I will. But you know what else? You need to get on the knee on your knees before a thrice holy God and commit that to him. Give it over. I don't want to be fighting anymore. I want to be working for unity in the body of Christ. Give it to him. Gracious God and Savior, we do want to give ourselves over to you completely, but sometimes this world robs us of that desire or that ability. So, Father, I ask that you would cause in us a hunger that is insatiable and unquenchable until we just give everything over to you. No turning back. No turning back. It's in your Son's name I pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.